Uh, we are finishing up this uh, Arrow series uh, today. It's been a, a lot of fun uh, preaching and teaching on this subject of, of parenting and relationships and, and how those uh, all work. And, and I always said I would never preach a, a parenting series because it is just so difficult. Like you can do everything right and, and raise jacked up kids and you can do nothing right and raise pretty good kids that it's, because they always have to make a decision themselves. It comes down to, to their spiritual battle uh, that, they are, that they are fighting in that given moment. And uh, I've said many times, we are all, uh, all of us are just one very bad decision away from being the, the worst person that we know. And so it's been a lot of fun uh, preaching and, and teaching this. And I know it's kind of overwhelming for some because you're thinking, man, I, I have not done very many things right as a parent, or you're thinking, I've got some things wrong. And we're gonna kind of clear all of that up uh, this morning. But I wanna kind of rehash all that we've done over the past five weeks. Uh, we talked about, in, in week one, we talked about aim. Like, how is your aim, and what is the bullseye that, that you're trying to hit? And we said that the bullseye, that, that the center of the target that we wanna hit is that we wanna make sure that our kids get to heaven. Like, and that's not only true of our, of our kids, like, well, that should be our, our view of everyone, every relationship that we have, is that our, our view is that we want to, to get people to heaven. And we said this, Jesus said this actually, he said, the way that you aim at the bullseye is to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he said, everything else will be added to you after that. So kingdom first mindset. And then in week two, we looked at the release. Like realizing that one day these, these little arrows are going to grow up and leave the quiver. Like arrows are only effective when they're launched, right? Like if you go hunting and you may see the, the biggest buck or, or whatever, like I'm not a hunter, so I always get those things wrong, so I try not to talk about them. But you can see the biggest buck that you've seen, but if your arrow stays right there, it's pretty ineffective. And it's the same with, with our kids. Like we... Like, they are offensive weapons in, in this spiritual battle that we have. And from the very beginning, we have to begin with the end in mind, knowing that they're going to be launched out, knowing that they were never meant to, to stay in our nest or our quiver all of their lives. And we said the time to think about them leaving is not after they graduate high school in the few months you have before college. It's from the very beginning, preparing them to, to be responsible we said things like too much gas and too much clutch are both, are both bad things. That there's gotta be a balance in, in how we're leading them. And then we talked about the rhythm of life. And this is the one where I made a lot of people mad when I told them this, that you are in charge of your calendar. Like, because we are so busy. Busy, 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 busy. And we wanna blame our busyness on everybody else and everything else when we are ultimately the ones in charge of our calendar and we set the rhythm, we set the pace for our lives. And then, and I'm gonna skip a week because it makes sense in the, in the arrow spelling. Uh, the last week we talked about the opponents that we have, that we are in a spiritual war and, and we have opponents and our opponents are not each other. Like so often we get that wrong. Our opponents are not uh, Seth or, or Tyler or, or anyone that our opponents are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, that we are in a spiritual battle. And then in week four, I will go back, 
Seth actually talked about work. You remember, like, he had his work boots on, and he had a ping pong table out there, and, and it was awesome. Like, he and Chelsea were playing ping pong back and forth, and, and it's hard work raising kids. It's hard work uh, being married, and the object is not, the, not victory. Like, we're not trying to beat our kids or, or, or achieve victory over our spouse. We're trying to set them up, because when they win, we win. But that's a lot of work, and Seth did a great job uh, preaching about that. We want to, to win together. And today, we're gonna finish up this series uh, actually with, with a sermon called Special, um, called uh, Special. And of course, our kids are special, some of them more so than others. I don't have any here, so I won't joke on them too bad. But, but I'm, and I'm really not talking about special in our kids today. I'm talking about special moments in our lives. Like, I don't know about you, but there are so many commercials that, that just get to me. I'm not a very emotional guy. Like, that's not me, if you haven't figured that out in life. Um, but there are, the older I get, and I don't know if this is true of everybody, but the older I get, the more emotional I get. And, and there are some commercials that, that just get to me. Like, anytime, like, you see military dad or mom coming home, and they surprise the kids, and you see the kids running, and they're all happy, it almost makes me cry. I, I don't know why. Uh, but here's another one from like 2013 that stuck out to me. I just want to show you it. Sometimes the little things last the longest. Give extra, get extra. Man, them daggone gum people. Like, <laughs> that, like, I, like my, my wife's down here crying. Like, and I get it. Like, it is, it's like, I'm not even a gum chewer. Like, I never have been. But man, when I saw that commercial, it made me want to go out and buy gum and try to make them stupid little foil birds. And, and like, I remember making one or like, it didn't look like a bird, but I, but I made one and like went in the bathroom and it's in the toilet after I gave it to my daughter. Like, it's about making moments. Like I remember, like, like I thought that, man, I'll get this little foil thing and like one day when I'm moving my kid to college, it'll all spill out and it'll be th this great thing. Because moments are what matter really in our lives. You know, one of the things that, that I, I get to do in, in tomorrow is I get to uh, share in a funeral service for Helen Garrett, uh, 90, 95 years old, uh, married for 72 years. And you know what the family's going to remember tomorrow? They're going to remember moments, like the, the times that um, she taught them to dance or the, the meals that, that she cooked for them. 
You know, it's gonna be the, the moment. It's not gonna be about the, the money that she made or the, the property that she had or any of those things. It's gonna be about the moments that she gave with life because all of our lives are made up of these moments. I read a book uh, this week uh, by a guy named Carlos Whitaker and uh, it, it's called Moment Maker. And he talks about Jesus and, and Jesus. Jesus was the the most famous moment maker of all time, that he was always trying to make these moments. And I believe that we, we have the potential to be moment makers. Like what we see Jesus doing throughout his ministry is making these, these moments. And I want us to learn from him today. And the first thing we're gonna talk about really is creating moments. That we have an opportunity every day of our life to create moments. These these moments, these are the, the moments that we have control over. They're the birthday parties, they're the, the surprise parties, they're the engagements, they're, uh, they're, you know, the things that flood our social media all the time that, that make us want to cry. It's the dad or mom coming home on military and, and creating that moment for their, for their kid. It's the, the created moments, the things in the everyday, the, the fun moments that we can do. And as I look at the life of Jesus, he was, he was creating moments all the time. And I want us to look at Luke chapter 24, and I want to set this up. Like Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and our Savior, had, had been crucified. He'd been buried. Um, actually, he had came back from the grave. Like, so he defeated death, and, and he walked out of the tomb. And a couple of, of his followers, a couple of Marys and a, and a lady named Martha, they came to the tomb, and an angel said, hey, he's not here. He has risen just like he said. Now go tell his friends. So they go tell his disciples. And now his disciples, like they, they, were, they were his closest of friends. They traveled with Jesus and spent every day with Jesus for about two and a half years. And none of them got to see the empty tomb really with their own eyes at first. Like Mary and Martha did, and they went and told the, the Peter and John, and Peter and John raced to the tomb, and it was exciting, but they didn't get to see it first. And so they went and told him, and I don't know about you, but if someone tells me that someone else has risen from the dead, I'm probably not going to believe it, because that just doesn't happen. In Luke 24, like what we have is we have these two disciples, they've been told now, and they're walking on this road to, to Emmaus. And it says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. The arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, the, the women coming to them, them running off scared probably because they thought they were going to be next. They're talking about everything that had happened. It says that they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Created moment number one. Jesus shows up and, and he's walking with them. He said, but they were kept from recognizing him. And we're often hard on these guys. So how'd they not recognize Jesus? He's right there in front of them. Well, the Bible says that they were kept from it. Like, so it wasn't necessarily their fault. Like they, like they were kept from it. Now, if it was me and I had just risen from the dead and I saw two of my best friends walking down the road like what I would have been down is like, hey guys, it's me. Like I'm alive. 
Like I told you suckers five times I was coming back from the dead and you didn't believe me. It's me. But that's not what Jesus did. He thought about them before he thought or taught about himself. He's creating this moment for them. And I love this. So he asked them, like he didn't know, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood there, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like, are, are you the only one that doesn't know? And so now Jesus allows them to explain for seven miles exactly what had happened. He allows them to process, he allows them to grieve, he, he allows them to get to a place where they can understand their feelings a little bit better. For seven miles, they tell Jesus all about Jesus, and he's okay with it. And he's, because he says, what things, he asked. He said, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all of the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day now since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. I mean, do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's allowing them to tell their story. He's creating this moment with them where, where they feel heard. He's listening to them before he's teaching them. How much different would our world be today if we took some time to listen before we started to correct, before we started to teach, before we started to, to interject our own opinion? How much different would our homes be if we took some time to, to, to listen to our kids and to listen to our spouse before we started telling them, hey, this, that's what you're doing wrong or, or that's the, the wrong thing? You know, what I found out about being, being married for, for as many years is oftentimes when Jennifer wants to talk and has a problem, she doesn't need my input. She just wants me to listen. Like when Jesus was creating this moment, it was all about them and not about him. But there is a time for teaching. Watch this. It says, he said to them, how foolish are you, and how slow to believe all of the, that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So after listening to them, he took the time to go all the way back to Moses, all the way through the Old Testament prophets to teach them about himself. I can imagine going back to the time and him telling, yes, you know, th there was a time, and we just did an Exodus series, but there was a time when, when I stood on fire in a bush and talked to this guy named Moses. He was gonna deliver the people out of Egypt. I can imagine him talking about the plagues that God sent on Egypt and the frogs and the lice and the hail and the painted doorposts that we talked about last week. 
and that there had to be a sacrifice. I can imagine him talking about Isaiah and predicting um, the, the birth of the Messiah into the world. That he's telling them all of these things. But Jesus wasn't done creating this moment yet. Like in verse 28, I think that this is the, the, the master moment maker right here. Like it's incredible. It says, they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued as if he was going on further. Like he knew he wasn't going any further. Like, but he wanted them to believe that he was gonna go on further. Like I'm just gonna keep on going. Like he's creating a moment. He, like, it's decided, he decides to play a joke on them. Hey guys, thanks for the talk. I gotta keep on going. He's giving them an opportunity to invite him in. He said, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And then it says this, when, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him as he disappeared from their sight. And we're gonna come back to that. It's like Jesus is poof and he's gone. I read that and I'm like, man, Jesus was so intentional about creating moments. But he was creating them for other people. Like Jesus never made it about himself. Like how can we truly become more like Jesus? Well, the very first thing is this. Like if I'm gonna make moments, I gotta make it about somebody else and not about me. Like I've gotta understand this whole kingdom mindset, this whole, whole objective that we're trying to get, it's not about me, it's about other people. Like we live in such a me-centered world. Like we love our selfies. Like we love boasting about ourselves. We love complaining about ourselves. We love talking about ourselves. We love trying creating moments for ourselves. I love what Philippians chapter two says, and it won't be up on the screen, but it's one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Like it's one that I get wrong so very often in my life. Like there are some verses in, in Philippians chapter two I've made my kids memorize from a very early age. Like do everything without complaining or arguing and then you will shine like stars in the universe in this crooked and depraved generation. But he starts that chapter saying things like this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. I guess that's a big word, nothing. It means nothing. And I read that and I think, man, so often I fail. He says things like, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Like when Jesus created a moment, it was all about them. And when we as a church, as we as Christ followers, when we start creating moments that are about other people and listening to other people's story, like they're gonna start putting them in a little box like foil birds and then one day they're just gonna spill out everywhere and revival's gonna start because Jesus is spilling out because all of the moments that his followers have created. Like that's how the church is gonna grow. Like that's how our families are, are gonna grow. But in order for that to happen, we have to be intentional and we have to create moments that are about other people. In order to be moment makers, you have to mimic the master. The second type of moment that we see in this story is a received moment. The first type of moment's a created moment. Like Jesus intentionally was creating this, this conversation, creating this dialogue, creating this opportunity for them to invite him in. 
This one we, the next one we see is a, a received moment because he had something that he wanted to give and he wanted these guys to receive it. Like these are the moments that we're not expecting. These are the moments where, where things shift because somebody else gave. These are, these are, are the moments that, that the Garrett family is gonna remember tomorrow that, that Helen just gave and they received from these moments. Like Jesus listened to their story. He went on to explain everything. And one of those stories that I think that he probably talked about was Exodus chapter 14. It's a perfect example of how I believe we can receive a moment from God. And we have Moses and we have the Israelites and they've just been freed from slavery in Egypt. And now they're running for their lives. And this is what Exodus 14 says. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and the officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariots made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near that word, opposite of that word. And Pharaoh continued, appro approached. The Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. How many times have we ever felt like the Israelites felt right there? Like we looked behind us and we're like, man, God, why did you bring me here? God, like, what's going on in my life? Like, there's nothing safe in front of me, and there's nothing safe behind me. Like, I bet that these two men on the road to Emmaus felt the same way. We gave up everything to follow Jesus, and now he's dead, so there's nothing in front of us. They crucified him. They killed him. We're his followers. They're probably coming after us as well. We gave up our lives to follow him so we have no, no future. Our, our leader's dead. People of Israel, like that's what they like. They started complaining against Moses. It says, but Moses answered them, don't be afraid. Stand firm or stand still and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Like, we don't stand still. I think we have the hardest time standing still. Like, I have a hard time standing still. But you guys know what after, happened after they stood, stood still? God told Moses, hey, take that, that staff and put it in the ground, and rescue happened. The sea parted, and they were led to safety. When they stopped and stood still, and sometimes in our life, listen, that's what we have to do. We have to pause in order to receive. The two men on the, on the road to, to Emmaus, they had to pause before they could even hear what Jesus had to say to them. I believe God has so much for us. But as a culture, as a people, we're so busy that we don't stop. We just go and we go and we go. We're just sprinting and, and we're exhausted all the time. But if we want to receive moments from God, like we're going to have to pause. We're going to have to be still 
and listen. And listen, I believe that when we pause, he'll part the seas for us. That when we pause, that he will literally rescue us. So we can pause. And there's one way to pause real quick. Put the phone down for a little while. Like, I don't think cell phones are inherently evil. But so often, our wife, our kids, our husband, the, anybody that we're talking to, like, they see the Apple logo way more than they see our eyes. And what they need to see is our eyes. I want to talk about the third type of, of moment. And these are the moments that are redeemed or the moments that are rescued. Our lives are full of moments that need to be redeemed. I guess why it's so hard preaching a, a parenting series and parenting sermons. Because our lives are not these perfect little pictures where nothing ever goes wrong and we don't ever, we don't ever sin and fall short of the glory of God. Our lives are full of rocks and full of jagged edges. And there are all kinds of stories like that in the Bible. All kinds of stories like that in the life of Jesus. A famous one, Matthew 14, 25. So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Don't we do that all the time? Jesus is just very plainly there. We're like, hey, prove it to me. That's what Peter's doing. He's like, hey, prove it to me. Come, he said. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was, uh, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Like, like why, why did you doubt? When we take our eyes off Jesus and we put them on the storm, that's what happens in our life. We sink. But when we keep our eyes on Jesus, listen, we can walk on water and miracles will happen. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus explains to them who he is and he stops to eat with them. And I love this. So he, he takes some bread and he breaks it. He, he gave thanks and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were, were opened. What opened their eyes? It was receiving in that moment. It was when he was giving them the bread. Why? Because he, when he gave it to them, I think they were able to see the nail marks in his hands and his wrists. It became clear to them that, that he was the Messiah that he was the one that, that they'd spent seven miles telling him about, the one who came to redeem and that came to rescue all of Israel. He redeemed them in that moment, and then the scripture just said he disappeared. Why? Because he had another moment to redeem. If you turn to John chapter 21, you, you see that moment. In Luke 24, Jesus disappears from these two friends of his, and he shows up in John 21 on the Sea of Galilee. And as he's there, he's, he's looking out over the sea, and he sees some guys out in a fishing boat. 
He's like, man, I, I know those guys. And he just calls out to him and said, hey, do you, have you caught any fish? Which is a normal question if you're standing by the Sea of Galilee and you see fishermen out there. Like, that's what fishermen do. Have you caught anything? And Jesus just asked, hey, have you, have you caught anything? And they said, no. And Jesus said, hey, why don't you throw your nets out on the other side? And they did, and they had this huge, miraculous catch of fish. And John looks over at Peter and says, that's the Lord. That's the Messiah. And Peter said, you know what? If that's him, I'm gonna jump out of the boat right now. Like, you guys deal with the fish. You guys deal with all of that. Because if he's come back for me after what I've done, if he's willing to redeem me after the sin that I made, like, listen, he, I, he, I'm his. Like, if he's willing to come back to me, if he's willing to call me friend, if he's willing to come looking for me after I denied him, after I told him I didn't know him, after I ran away scared, after the worst day in my life, if he's come back to redeem me, then I'm willing to go all in for him. You have moments that need to be redeemed. I have moments that need to be redeemed in my life. I think about just with, with every one of my kids. You know, there was a time when, when Jayla was in, in junior high. If you've ever had a junior high girl, you probably understand this. But there was a time when we tell this story and, and my kids still cry when we tell the story. Like she got up one morning and just had a horrible, horrible attitude. And I'd had enough and I grabbed her by the ear and I picked her up and I screamed right in her face. The moment that needed to be redeemed. Caitlin, um, very, very similar, except I never had to yell at her or scream at her. I mean, I just, just look at her and just like, man, I'm so disappointed in you. And just break down and cry moments that need to be redeemed. Like Aiden, like that kid, like he never got in trouble. But, but man, there was a time as dad, I took him and we were um, at CIY and I took a bunch of kids to, to do a, a rock, a rope swing over a rock and a couple of kids went and Aiden was the, the third one to go and um, he let go of the, rock too, or the rope too soon, landed right on the rocks. Like I thought he was dead. Like I had a video of it I was gonna show, but you can hear me cussing it, so I didn't. Um, like just moments that need to be redeemed. There's moments in, in, in my, my marriage that God's had to redeem where I've said hurtful things to, to Jennifer or I've looked at things I shouldn't have looked at or thought things that I shouldn't have thought. Moments that, that needed to be redeemed. Because that's what our life is. It's, life, it's, a, it's a life where we create moments, where we receive moments, and we allow God to redeem some moments in our life. And there's several different types of people probably, several different types of situations today that, that need to be redeemed. Maybe for some today, maybe the redemption you need is, is from a life of sin. Maybe today for the very first time, you need to give your life to this moment maker of Jesus. And maybe you need to be immersed in baptism. 
so that your sins can be washed away, so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's come to redeem that moment for you. Maybe that's not the moment you need. Maybe the moment you need today is, is you've already made that decision, but man, there's a lot of rocks, there's a lot of jagged edges, there's a lot of sin in your life that you need to repent of, that, that you need God to redeem. And we wanna offer that opportunity today. And I wanna do that today as we celebrate this communion. So if you've got communion here, if you're online watching, let me ask you to get that ready. It's over and over again in the scriptures, it's what we see Jesus doing. Like he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. And that's what we wanna do as we open up that top layer this morning. And I pray as you take it, you can just vision what, what these two men on the road to Emmaus did, saw. Like the, the nail marks in his hands. And the, he did that to redeem whatever situation you've been in. You haven't gone too far. You haven't done too much. He's here to redeem it. Take that second layer. It represents the blood that he shed for us. His sin, all sin, my sin, your sin. There had to be blood sacrificed for it. So let's take that together. I'm gonna ask you to stand and I'm gonna pray and the worship team's gonna lead us in a song. And if you need to be redeemed, if you need to be rescued today, come talk to one of us. Father God, today, man, we are so thankful that you are a, a moment maker that you create moments for us. And if I pray that we would slow down enough to, to receive those. Father, you redeem all of the worst moments of our life. All of us here have a, have a list of so many ways that we've fallen short, that we've, we've sinned, we've messed up, we've made mistakes, whatever you wanna call them. God, that we need you to redeem for us. If I pray today, that through Jesus, you would redeem us, that you would rescue us. In his name that I pray.